You were listening to Money on the Left, the official podcast of the Modern Money Network Humanities Division, or MMNHD. Nango Sambasila is a Senegalese development economist and research and program manager at the West Africa office of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. Sila is also the author of many articles and three books, including the recently published L'Homme Invisible de la Franc-Afrique, or The Invisible Weapon of Franco-African Imperialism. In that book, Sila and co-author Fanny Pigou lay out a comprehensive case against the CFA Franc, which is the neo-colonial currency union that presently constrains the social, political, and economic prospects of each of its member states. In this episode, Scott and Max talk with Sila about the history of political economy in pre- and post-colonial Africa, the theoretical bases and political stakes of the anti-CFA franc movement, and how modern monetary theory ought to inform current and future efforts to restore political and economic sovereignty to West African nations. Special thanks to Nongo for taking the time to speak with us, and to Alex Williams for producing the episode. Nongo Samba Sila, welcome to Money on the Left. Thank you. Thank you for your invitation. So I was wondering if we could start, if you could tell us a little bit about your personal, educational, and political background. Yeah, I am a Senegalese citizen. I uh, currently live in Dakar, where I uh, grew up. Dakar is, in, is the capital of Senegal. Um, I did my... Um, early studies in Senegal until the baccalaureate in 1996. Uh, from there, I went to Paris for my university studies. And um, I obtained a master's degree in sociology at the Institute of Political Studies in Paris and also a master's degree in development economics at the University of Paris, Panthéon-Sorbonne. And then I did a PhD on economics at the University of Versailles Saint-Quentin-Yvelin. And uh, my dissertation was about um, employment relationships in, in Senegal. And uh, professionally, uh, I started my first job as a researcher in 2001 in a public research center in Paris. Uh, this center was uh, specialized on employment issues. Uh, I worked there under the <coughs> supervision of one of my professors and uh, I had to participate to the writing of evaluation reports about the European Employment Strategy, uh, which was an uh, initiative launched in 1998 by the European Union. Uh, from there, I uh, worked uh, uh, for the government I was uh, from between 2006 and 2009 technical advisor at the presidency of the Republic of Senegal and uh, I left this job in 2009 and after that I worked um, as a consultant for the Fair Trade uh, uh, Worldwide Umbrella Organization. Uh, and uh, since then, uh, in 2012, I work uh, in Dhaka as a programming research manager uh, at the West Africa office of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, which is a leftist German political foundation. 
And uh, regarding my uh, writings, I have uh, uh, um, offered a book on fair trade named Fair Trade Scandal. Uh, I have also offered uh, one book about the story of uh, democracy. And uh, recently I co-authored a book with the French journalist Fanny Pigeot on the, on the story of the CFA Frank. So your recent work and your recent co-authored book focuses primarily, as you said, on the, um, on the sort of present history of the neocolonial monetary system that is uh, the CFA Franc uh, in, in, in Francophone Africa. Um, and, you know, really in this conversation, I want us to really dive into that. Um, but before we start, I was wondering if you could sketch out for us uh, how you how you approach this question um, th- through through political economy uh, and how do you understand money um, and I'm also curious um, given your your background and training thinking about uh, employment and unemployment uh, how you see the relationship between money and employment yeah uh, it's uh, difficult to to, to give a a definition of money of my of my own. I do not have a definition of my own, but um, I somewhat subscribe to uh, some existing views about about money, namely the view that uh, uh, money is uh, an important social institution uh, which helps, let's say, uh, uh, settle debts and credit relationships in given polities. And uh, this um, this um, uh, function is um, uh, more or less um, possible because uh, if money has to work, first you need an unit of account where you could uh, uh, more or less uh, count the debts, the credits. And also, you have to establish rules for exchange payments and um, accumulation of um, of uh, social values. Uh, but uh, the view of uh, money, uh, which doesn't uh, convince me, is a neoclassical view of uh, money uh, as commodity, uh, which uh, help overcome the. Um, the shortcomings of, of barter. I am really not convinced by this view. And the view, neoclassical view, too, that uh, money is a neutral economic instrument. Uh, generally, I often like to, uh, to quote Aristotle in his book, uh, Nicomachean Ethics, in French it's uh, Ethica Nicomac, where he uh, reminds us that the, the same the same word that uh, uh, that designates law in uh, Greek share the same uh, etymology, the same root. Uh, that uh, then the word uh, referring to money. So that means that, uh, uh, that you could not find a more political topic than uh, than money. Sometimes people. Uh, uh, told us that money is a complicated subject only for experts, uh, but with the observation made by Aristotle, we could be sure that, uh, yeah, uh, 
money is let's say a, a political topic which uh, needs a, a really democratic uh, framework for, for for debate so i think uh, as progressives uh, it's important to open the money black box and to make it uh, understandable to ordinary people and that's why i also uh, uh, appreciate uh, very much the efforts made by the uh, modern monetary movement regarding now the link between uh, money and uh, employment uh, i think there is a, a clear 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 link between them because uh, in capitalist economies uh, money is at the beginning of production it's at the beginning and it's, it's at the end and uh, you have to create money to start production and uh, by the act of creating money you create production and at the same time you create jobs so uh, uh, in capitalist economies you need money to create jobs you have to provide money and when we say money it's not just uh, existing um, let's say savings or means of payments but uh, newer means of payments monetary creation uh, that's why uh, there is a strong link between uh, uh, money and uh, and employment so i was wondering um if we can take those ideas right that money is inherently political and that in in production context it's it's present in the first and last mm -hmm. instance mm -hmm. um and i was wondering if we could apply it to the pre-colonial northern and west african uh societies and and i was wondering if you had any insights if to the credit and debt relations that perhaps preceded um european invasion and colonization yeah in fact the uh, role of money uh, in uh, let's say capitalist economies is uh, obviously different from the, its role in pre-colonial pre uh, pre-capitalist uh, societies mm -hmm. um, because if you remember the um, let's say the formula of Marx A M A plus that means you have the money at the beginning and money also as the object of, of production in the um, pre-colonial societies, pre-capitalist societies, uh, uh, money has uh, other functions. And this is, um, let's say, um, eloquently uh, shown in the book of uh, David Graeber, his best-selling book, Debt. And um, he was saying in this book that um, in pre-capitalist societies, um, the function of money is not uh, only to uh, facilitate economic exchanges, but first uh, to rearrange, to repair existing social relationships. Uh, for example, in the case of um, West Africa, uh, uh, the currencies were used, uh, for example, to pay dowry, to pay fines, but also um, black price. If you take, uh, for example, the the national languages you could uh, see the this, this importance of, of money uh, in the language uh, for example in my own um, mother tongue which is uh, 
Walafa, the word nephew literally means blood blood price, while the word uncle literally means blood himself. In fact, in the in the Wolof societies, the structure was the family structure was matriarchal. So the uncles who were let's say captured could be exchanged with their nephews, and their nephews could also be used to pay the the blood price. So it was let's say one view about money. But Africans, uh, before the colonization, knew also that uh, money is not uh, a commodity, but uh, a social relationships. Because you would see that there was um, many types of um, uh, um, um, currencies, and uh, which uh, had uh, classical functions, unit of account, means of payment, store of value. They were commodity currencies for the most time, uh, rubber bars, iron and copper bars, shells, cotton, things like that. And they knew, of course, that uh, they have, uh, let's say, um, uh, through those objects, they are uh, trying to, uh, to shape social relationships. And... Um, there was the 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 curries which were the let's say more successful uh, currency probably in, in in West Africa, and they were used throughout the the region at the point that uh, people were talking about uh, the the, the curry zone, and even this uh, curry uh, were used. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, were listed in the in, in France, so they could be exchanged with the French uh, currency. So, uh, money in the pre-capitalist societies uh, was not, let's say, used primarily for economic objectives, but more or less for political and cultural and sometimes religious uh, uses but not only as in capitalism, let's say, to create value, accumulate value, extract value, uh, etc. Thanks. So uh, this leads to our, our next question. So what, what changes under colonial rule? Um, and I, I'm actually interested, you already, um, you already kind of brought an example of this up, but do you see colonization and changing money relations as a purely top-down process, or uh, do we see instances where local, local political, legal customs um, uh, play a large role uh, also in shaping uh, colonial relations? Yeah, I would say that um, the um, uh, colonialism has uh, transformed. Uh, deeply the monetary experience of African peoples. Um, first, we have to remind that uh, yeah, colonialism was first associated with, um, let's say, violence. And you could um, see that with the example of um, the conquest of uh, Algeria, because uh, it, it happened uh, in the 1830s. 
and um, it was let's say the beginning of the let's say military uh, colonization of of the continent. Uh, what what happened there was uh, let's say looting and uh, the French troops, for example, looted the 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 stock of gold, the stock of silver of of of, of Algeria, and this was shared by the by the looters, by the French treasury, and by the by the king uh, Louis Philippe uh, himself. And uh, this was uh, important because uh, just after the conquest of uh, Algeria in 1848, uh, there was the abolition of slavery and, uh, in France. And this was something really important from uh, a monetary point of view because uh, the slave owners, uh, French slave owners, uh, had, to, had to be compensated and uh, part of the compensation was used uh, to set up colonial banks under supervision of the Bank de France. And this is, for example, the case of the Bank, uh, Bank of Senegal, which was created in 1853 and which had its uh, headquarters in a town, town named Saint-Louis in the north of uh, Senegal. And this uh, Bank of Senegal is currently the ancestor of the current uh, Central Bank of West African States. So you could uh, see uh, through this uh, telling example the relationship between uh, debt, credit, money, and let's say the setting up of a, of a banking system. Uh, I rem uh, remind this uh, story because the. Um, the creation of this Bank of Senegal was is was illustrative of um, uh, the um, objectives uh, of the let's say colonial enterprises and also the place of money in these uh, colonial enterprises because the um, colonizers used money uh, for extractive purposes. Uh, that means. Uh, to bring the colonies to produce the resources and the products uh, desired by the metropolis and also to drain economic uh, surpluses to the metropolis. At that time, there was something called the, the Colonial Pact. And the Colonial Pact uh, is not um, really a pact that means a convention between partners. Uh, it was a way of designing, uh, let's say, the operating principles of the colonial uh, economy and uh, those operating principles were for example uh, the fact that the colonies uh, were uh, legally prohibited to industrialize uh, they had just to supply raw materials to the metropolis uh, which would transform them into finished products and then sell them back uh, the metropolis had also the, um, the monopoly on exports and imports uh, from the colonies. Uh, it also had the monopoly on the transportation of the products of foreign trade of, of the colonies. And uh, in this uh, colonial economic system, uh, the world of money was to, um, to allow this extraction of, uh, of value. That's why when uh, uh, banking credit was created for production. 
it was limited just to the production of cash crops and raw materials uh, demanded by the metropolis. And uh, when uh, uh, credit for consumption was uh, uh, created, it was just to create a demand for the goods imported uh, from the metropolis. And uh, what is sad is that uh, this colonial function of money is still in full force nowadays in the countries uh, using the CFA franc. Uh, so the first impact of the, let's say, the introduction of the um, colonial currencies uh, has been to, to kill the monetary pluralism that was uh, a characteristic of uh, African polities. Because uh, you could see in the same town, you could see different kind of uh, currencies. But when the European powers came, they wanted uh, to lower transaction costs. That's why they, uh, they uh, created uh, currency blocks. But those currency blocks were not uh, what we would call now um, uh, optimal currency areas, but they were created just for colonial uh, purpose. And uh, by doing that, uh, the colonial powers have um, disrupted uh, African economic structures and they have made them uh, dependent on the external econo economic uh, dictates. That means they are no longer sufficient, uh, let's say, e economically uh, speaking. So to follow up on that, uh, you know, you were discussing the ways in which uh, you're very critical of the commodity theory of money, which we sort of associate with um, the classical political economy of Locke and Smith, um, and then it, it transforms uh, and takes on new forms in, in the marginalist uh, revolution and the turn to what we call neoclassical economics. Where, d where does that uh, intellectual history link up with the story of uh, European invasion, colonization, uh, and violence? Yeah, uh, I think that uh, neoclassical economics uh, uh, is an euphemism because uh, they will not, neoclassical economics does not talk about, let's say, uh, in a satisfactory way of the origins of money and uh, how money, money, money was created, for example, in, the, let's say, countries or regions which have been colonized by, let's say, uh, by, by, by Europe. They will just say that uh, money uh, was created because uh, it is uh, m more efficient than, than butter. And um, uh, European uh, powers, of course, knew that uh, money does not work like that. Uh, that's why uh, what they did first is the, they um, imposed their own uh, currency. Uh, in uh, our book, uh, we have quoted Iman Minsky, who used to say that uh, uh, everyone can create money, but the problem is uh, how to get get it accepted. And for me, this is really uh, interesting uh, when we think about the story of the imposition of uh, colonial currencies. If we take uh, the case of the Koreas, uh, the for example, when France conquered West Africa, 
and created the Federation of West Africa. The first thing they did uh, is to stop the imports of uh, curries because the curries uh, came from the Indian Ocean. And so they, they stopped that. And um, sometimes they uh, went to markets with uh, military people, soldiers, uh, to um, impose uh, traders to use the, 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 French, the French currency. And they have put uh, legal sanctions for people not accepting to use French currency. But we see also the importance of, um, of let's say, the fiscal instrument uh, to, to generate a, a demand for, 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 the, for, for money. Because uh, uh, through the obligation that the indigenous people have to pay uh, taxes, uh, uh, they created a, a demand for the colonial currencies because people had to work in sectors where they would uh, receive the cash so that they could be able to, um, uh, to, 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 to pay their taxes. And this is something yeah, uh, which, uh, let's say, uh, this uh, process, uh, this way, uh, of money to work, you could not see that in neoclassical economics, but you could see that uh, clearly, for example, in uh, modern monetary theory, that is the issue of uh, the currency has to spend first before, uh, let's say, the um, people who have to pay taxes, yeah, uh, pay their taxes. And um, this is something uh, you could see in the history of the colonial currencies, but uh, this kind of story, uh, you will never find that, uh, let's say, explained uh, in a neoclassical economic, uh, let's say, uh, perspectives. So I know this is a sweeping generalization, but would it be fair to say in terms of uh, the conscious uh, the conscious intentions and actions of uh, the French in the 19th century, um, that they were uh, uh, commodity theorists at home and charterless abroad when they, when they needed to be? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. They uh, clearly uh, acted in the charterless way. And, um, yeah, they knew that if they wanted to uh, substitute... Uh, the French currency and uh, abolish the, um, the, the the indigenous currencies. They had to uh, impose taxes, and uh, through that they were able to create a demand for the um, for the for the French currency because uh, African people had resisted, let's say, five decades before they came to really accept the French currency. 
and this had been possible through the fact of saying that if you do not pay taxes, uh, yeah, you will face legal sanctions, and yeah, you have to pay taxes. And when you pay, you have to pay taxes. You have to earn money, and you could earn money only by uh, producing what is demanded by the metropolis, and that's how they, um, yeah, how they uh, manage to, uh, to 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 impose their their, their currency. Yeah, thank you. So I wanted to bring this back to some of your more recent work, specifically on the CFA franc. And I was wondering if for our listeners you could define what the CFA franc is and then um, perhaps narrate how it shaped the post-colonial political economies of Francophone Africa in the early years of decolonialization. Yeah, uh, the CFA franc is a let's say currency born in during the colonial period uh, now it is the um, acronym for two different currencies uh, the first is the uh, front of the african financial community this is the currency of eight countries members of the west african economic and monetary union and uh, there is uh, another safe franc is the front of the financial cooperation in Central Africa for the six countries belonging to the Central African Economic and Monetary Community. So we have two uh, CFA francs. But uh, at the beginning, there was just one CFA franc. And the beginning was in um, 1945. That is uh, just after the Second World War. And uh, at that time, the acronym meant uh, Front of the French Colonies in Africa. So it was clear that this was a colonial uh, currency, uh, which uh, uh, was circulate, which was circulating in the um, sub-Saharan colonies of, of France. Uh, the currency was uh, created uh, officially on December 26, 1945, by the General de Gaulle and his uh, finance minister, and uh, the currency was created uh, the same day that uh, France ratified the Bretton Woods Agreement, the same day also that uh, the new parity of the French franc uh, was declared to the uh, uh, IMF, which was just born. And uh, why the CFA franc was uh, created? It was created uh, because uh, the um, French economy have been, uh, had been uh, destroyed during the war and um, there was not enough uh, let's say uh, foreign exchange reserves there was a high inflation many shortages etc and so the question at that time was whether we should have uh, a devaluation of the of the French franc which would be uh, homogeneous uh, throughout the, the empire because at that time there was just uh, one currency uh, circulating in more or less the whole empire, except for, for example, India and Indochina, it was the French franc which was circulating in the in the empire, and of course the banknotes were more or less uh, differentiated from one place to another. But it was basically the the French franc, and as the French economies. Uh, uh, yeah, was in a more precarious state. The technicians of the Ministry of Finance 
in France said it would be better that we uh, devalue the, CF, the, the, the French franc. And uh, that decision implied that the new currencies be created. And the CFA franc was created in that context. That means uh, it has been created with a devaluation of the CFA uh, of the French franc, and uh, the devaluation of this uh, French franc has uh, abolished what was called the monetary unity. That is a uh, one currency circulating in the whole empire. Uh, so the um, CFA franc is, let's say, a devalued uh, French franc. But what is interesting is that uh, when the CFA franc was uh, created, uh, it, had, um, ex it had an external value higher than the French franc because uh, one CFA franc was exchanged with 1.70 uh, French franc. And three years later, in 1984, there was a devaluation of the French franc, which was not followed in the, in the colonies. And as a result of that, one CFA franc was worth two French francs. Uh, that means that the CFA franc was born overvalued. Uh, because uh, in the British colonies, uh, their currencies had a parity which was obviously uh, uh, weaker than the, than the British pound. But France decided to give the CFA franc and um, and exaggerated uh, external value because it was of interest uh, for France to break up the ties that the African colonies, uh, let's say, had nurtured during the war with the other parts of the world, for example, Latin America and Asia. Uh, during the war, the trade uh, between the France and uh, its colonies have decreased a lot and France wanted to uh, regain control of that trade. And so it was interesting for France to have uh, uh, colonies which with uh, overvalued uh, currencies. And um, as a result of this uh, over, uh, overvaluation, the colonies could no longer sell competitive products, let's say in Asia or in Latin America. So they were obliged to, um, to, to sell it uh, to, to France. And at the same time, as their currency was overvalued, they could... Um, uh, by uh, cheaply uh, goods from from France, so it was uh, uh, very uh, profitable from from France to have uh, colonies with um, overvalued uh, exchange rate. And um, what what was also uh, profitable for France is that uh, the French franc was at the time a very weak currency, and um, Bre the Bretton Woods regime was the regime with the U.S. dollar hegemony. And goods had to be bought in U.S. dollars, but with the CFA franc, France could buy all the raw materials, all the products in um, its colonies without using U.S. dollars, because France could just credit, let's say, the amount of uh, exports in the of, the, of uh, the exports of the colonies in a French franc, and that's what uh, France did. And this was really uh, important for France as it uh, contributed to strengthen a little bit uh, the French franc exchange rate. Because um, if France had to um, earn dollars to buy the 
to buy uh, its imports in uh, Africa, it could have been uh, very uh, disruptive for the French economy, which was really uh, in, um, in, in, in a mess just after the Second World War. And uh, the creation of the CFA franc was also a means for France to have a total control on these uh, colonies because the, all the decisions, economic, financial and political, were taken uh, from France. So you've just uh, explained the, the historical creation of the CFA franc and how it sort of shaped African political economics. And I was wondering if you could talk about what the current status of the CFA franc is and how it rela it's related to the euro currency zone. Okay. Uh, b before maybe um, answering that question, um, uh, I will maybe uh, give some, some context about... Um, in fact, about why the CFA franc still exists. Because the, mm -hmm. uh, the, after the creation of the CFA franc, there were some political concessions from, 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 from France, which allowed the colonies more autonomy and um, which recognized uh, uh, some rights, labor rights, etc. Uh, and uh, this process has led to decolonization. But what is uh, particular in the case of uh, France is that all the, um, as the monetary blocks, because in Africa you had many monetary blocks. You had the uh, Sterling block, you had the um, Peseta zone, you have the Belgian monetary zone, you have, uh, let's say, the, the dollar zone more or less. And all those monetary blocks were dismantled after formal decolonization. But this, not, this did not happen with France. Because uh, when France knew that the decolonization was something inevitable, uh, France said to African leaders, because most of the Francophone African leaders were trained in France. Sometimes they were even um, they had seats in the French Parliament, and those uh, elites would afterwards, um, let's say, um, rule the newly uh, independent uh, African countries. And uh, France uh, told those leaders, I will grant you independence, provided you sign what was called the cooperation agreements. That means uh, agreements given, giving uh, France monopoly rights in uh, many areas, like, for example, raw materials, like foreign trade, like currency, diplomacy, armed forces, higher education, civil aviation. In all those domains, there were... Uh, cooperation agreements and this was something very clear uh, the first minister of uh, the prime minister of uh, France at that time uh, wrote to the uh, to the president of Gabon at that time the prime minister of Gabon at that time telling him that we will grant you independence but you have to sign those agreements without the signing of those agreements no independence and it was clearly written and as a matter of fact, all those countries would more or less uh, stay in the safer zone. Uh, you could see even in a case of a country like Gabon, the cooperation agreements were signed the day of its official independence. So that means that in Francophone Africa, there was not really um, a full decolonization, but only uh, a partial uh, decolonization. So this is... Um, let's say, um, 
um, the context which explain why the CFA Frank uh, survived the formal waves of uh, in the independences in, in Africa. This his this history it seems to me uh, is illuminating in a way that um, that that we often don't hear when we hear about the story of decolonization. We hear uh, we hear narratives about um, uh, various formerly colonized uh, peoples um, um, winning or receiving or agreeing to. Um, uh, take up their own their political autonomy or their political capacity, but they remain um, economically dependent. Uh, and usually, at least you know, without being an expert, my sense of the, the way that conventional narrative is told, even if it's um, on the side of decolonialization, it sort of uh, takes money for granted, sort of treats money as a as a commodity, uh, and doesn't doesn't really. Um, Open up the question of how how money is really the 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 central question and problem when it comes to um, to, to the process of decolonialization. Is that your sense? Do you do you have a sense that the that that putting money at the center of the story um, um, brings new light to the to this history? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I must say that I have um, learned a lot. And uh, seeing things differently when I have started to uh, work on the CFA Frank, because uh, as you said, I had uh, let's say more or less the same conventional view about uh, the process of decolonization. But when you factor in the, um, the money aspect, you see why you could not really talk of a real uh, decolonization without uh, taking into account. Whether the let's say the money management was decolonized or not, and clearly in the case of the CFA franc, the most important one of the most important aspect for France was to have uh, let's say the CFA franc zone maintained, and you could uh, see uh, many statements from ministers, from uh, MPs saying that it's important that African countries remain in the CFA zone. Because if they remain in the safer zone, it is as if uh, those African countries were, let's say, an economic department of France, an administrative department of France. Because uh, as France <laughs> could buy all African products just by 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 by, by credit, so it is a uh, let's say very uh, critical um, uh, thing for them. Very critical because they could buy everything just by putting it uh, on credit, everything in their own currency, and that means that uh, what what is called uh, the exorbitant privilege for the U.S. dollar is uh, somehow what France enjoys in its uh, former colonies through the. Um, Maintaining of the CFA franc because France has an exorbitant privilege, but now this this has declined with the arrival of the euro. But nonetheless, it has been a very important exorbitant privilege, and I think that without uh, this arrangement, it would have been really tough for France uh, to uh, rebuild its economy and also be a major economic power. So can you talk a little bit about how um, 
how it's the CFA franc is operating in the euro context? In fact, uh, uh, the CFA franc mechanism have not changed since colonial times uh, because they are, the mechanisms are really simple. They are based on four, four principles. Uh, the first principle is the fixed parity against the French currency, uh, which was a French franc before and now the euro. That means the peg is always there, it's the same peg and it's, normally it should not be devalued. Uh, the second principle is the freedom to transfer capitals and incomes within the franc zone. The franc zone uh, gathers uh, the 14 countries using the CFA franc and also the Comoros and France. The Comoros ha- has a, have a national currency, so-called national currency, but it functions uh, in the same way as, as the CFA franc. It's just the parity which is different. Otherwise, it's more or less the uh, same um, working principles. The third uh, principle is that the French Treasury uh, promises to uh, to guarantee the external convertibility of the CFA franc into French currency, and uh, this uh, uh, convertibility guarantee uh, means that the French Treasury promises to lend foreign reserves, euros, to uh, to the two central banks, the one in West Africa and the other in Central Africa, if they no longer have any foreign exchange reserves. Uh, that is the promise of uh, lending money. And uh, it is as if uh, the French Treasury was acting like a private IMF for the African central banks. Um, private IMF to say that. Uh, if they have, uh, let's say, a shortage in uh, foreign reserves, French will be there to lend them money so that the fixed peg is maintained, so that the free t- um, transfer of uh, capital and incomes uh, will not be uh, impeded. And uh, what has to be said is that France has seldom performed that role, let's say, of uh, lending money in, in terms of crisis. And the first principle is that uh, as a result of uh, this convertibility guarantee by French Treasury, the central banks are required to deposit uh, in a special account of the French Treasury uh, 50% of the foreign exchange reserves. Uh, after independence, it was 100%. And uh, this has been lowered to uh, uh, 65% in 1973. And uh, since 2005, it's uh, 50%. So uh, those foreign exchange reserves are deposited at the French Treasury as a counterpart to the guarantee of convertibility. And it is something uh, you would never see uh, anywhere else than the, uh, in the safer farm zone. So all these mechanisms uh, date back to the colonial period. And uh, they are still functioning like they functioned in the um, colonial period and uh, the the French uh, authorities are represented in the bodies of the central banks in both the central banks and they have a veto right that means that um, no monetary policy decisions including uh, the decision to devalue the CFR franc uh, can be taken 
without the approval of the French government. And uh, people don't know also that uh, uh, the CFA franc is a currency unknown in the international markets. Every time uh, CFA franc is exchanged against uh, the euro, this has to pass through the French treasury. Um, that means that the French treasury is de facto the foreign exchange office of African countries because the CFA franc are unknown in international markets. So every time there is a conversion, it is through the, the French treasury. And um, I have to add that uh, uh, the bank notes, the coins are still produced uh, in France uh, without recourse to any international call for tenders. And um, the stock of gold of the Central Bank of West African States is also more or less at 90% uh, held by the, by, the, by the Bank of France. So all these um, uh, elements show that the France CFA is a colonial monetary arrangement. Uh, his workings, its workings uh, have not changed, uh, let's say, uh, with formal uh, decolonization. And it is interesting to say that uh, the first report about the, um, the France Zone published in 1953, uh, it was clearly indicated that the CFA franc is technically similar to the French franc. In fact, the CFA franc is a sub-multiple of the French franc because there is a total integration between the monetary space in the France Zone countries and the monetary space of France. So it's the same the same money. The sole difference is that uh, for the CFA franc countries, you have uh, different banknotes, but it's more or less the same. Now, with the arrival of the euro, you could say that uh, the CFA franc is the submitable of the of the euro. And um, what has really changed with the arrival of the euro is that the governance of the France CFA now uh, includes the European Union authorities. Uh, because uh, uh, when the French knew that uh, the, safe, the French franc would disappear and uh, let its place to, uh, to, the, to the euro, they negotiated with uh, their European Union, European uh, partners. And uh, they say that uh, we want to back the CFA franc uh, with the euro and uh, they had to uh, uh, negotiate that uh, with their partners because there were some critical voices for example uh, Germany and Austria uh, which say that normally if France want to back the currency of uh, uh, its f uh, former colonies it's the European Union who will be sovereign and there will be uh, let's say uh, no um, place for, for fans to say whatever. And um, what happened is that uh, France was uh, um, efficient enough to convince the European Union authorities that the fact of uh, guaranteeing the convertibility of the CFA franc is not uh, a danger to French 
let's say, public uh, budget and also to European Union stability. And they made a compromise on that basis. Uh, the compromise was that now uh, France uh, have to have the consent of European Union authorities if the membership of the safer zone is to be enlarged. And uh, also, if change, changes have to be brought to the French convertibility guarantee. Uh, in the same way, uh, France should uh, give the European Union authorities prior information in the case that the CFA franc euro parity uh, is planned to be modified. For example, if uh, a devaluation is, is planned, uh, France has to uh, inform first the European Union authorities. Uh, this uh, dynamics mean that now the CFA franc is under the tutelage of uh, both France and the European Union uh, authorities. So this is a change brought by the arrival of the euro. The second change uh, is a, a, a change, uh, let's say, which has an economic nature. Uh, because uh, by uh, pegging the CFA franc to the euro, now the African countries, uh, their central banks, are more or less uh, submitted to the same restrictive uh, objectives uh, in terms of inflation, public debt, and uh, public deficit. Uh, our, the mandate of our central banks is to have a price stability and uh, they target uh, a rate of inflation below 3%. Uh, and uh, this kind of um, setting uh, uh, tends to uh, lead to uh, deflationary outcomes which uh, are bad for, let's say, the long-term growth of African countries. The other thing uh, also uh, is that uh, African countries uh, receive their uh, export income in dollars, uh, whereas their uh, money, their currency is uh, pegged to the euro, which has uh, often appreciated a lot vis-à-vis uh, -vis the dollar. Uh, for example, between 2002 and 2008, um, the euro has appreciated a lot vis-à-vis uh, -vis dollar, more than 90%, let's say, cumulatively. And uh, at that time, many uh, agricultural producers were bankrupted because of just one factor, the euro was so strong. So the arrival of the euro uh, means uh, less uh, export competitiveness for African countries. And uh, this also is a serious uh, handicap for structural transformation and also um, the uh, capacity to record uh, trade surpluses.
d'ici ou d'ailleurs, nous sommes des enfants d'Afrique, même si le ciel tombé, luttons pour la paix. Kondiamo Africa, mon laïna. Kondiamo Africa, moi et Sonyonatangé. In the way that you tell the story of the the rise and evolution uh, of what is essentially a colonial project, um, the CFA Frank, um, it seems like it begins with a clear, somewhat clear, charterist intention and consciousness. But by the time we get to uh, the later 20th century uh, and the the Eurozone, it seems like the the charterless insights, as 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 evil as as they were uh, put to use, um, are be, are really lost. Um, and and I my sense is that um, that this happens in in the way that um, both the eurozone and of course the CFA Frank um, really provide little place for. Uh, fiscal capacity uh, in any of the European economies or or the Francophone African economies. Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, because uh, uh, we are no longer in the same type of intellectual mindset because during the, let's say, colonial times, 1945 until, let's say, 1980s, more or less, uh, yeah, there was a um, the idea that people have to develop, rebuild economies, so on. And so there was an active role for central banks, an active role for states. But um, since then, the, the mindset has changed. And now the, the monetary policy is uh, too orthodox. And uh, the, the, the budgetary policy, fiscal policies, are also uh, true orthodox and uh, countries, African countries are um, trying to follow the, the dictates uh, of France, the IMF and also the European Union you do not have to have um, budget deficits, you do not have to have um, um, uh, to, 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 to in-depth to, 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 to borrow money etc. And so uh, it has become um, difficult for um, many uh, countries uh, at that time uh, as you said uh, there was there was this chartalist uh, uh, perspective by France on African countries but with the integration of France in the European Union this chartalist perspective has had disappeared because now France could no longer create money <laughs> to let's say buy African products uh, France had to let's say um, earn uh, those foreign exchange reserve, the money to be able to, uh, to to buy these goods. France is no longer sovereign monetarily, and you could uh, see that in the relationships with uh, African uh, countries, which are blindly following uh, this crazy model. 
we've been talking at a, a certain kind of theoretical uh, level for a while, and I was wondering if you could give our listeners uh, uh, a real contemporary um, uh, example of 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 the disaster that the the CFA Frank is creating for for people in communities, um, whether it's in Senegal or, or elsewhere? Yeah, uh, there are very simple data uh, sh- uh, illustrating the damage done by the CFA Frank. Uh, you just uh, take a look at the um, long-term growth rates. For example, if you take the real GDP per capita of the um, most important economies in the France zone, you will see that they have nowadays uh, real GDP per capita um, lower than the level of real GDP per capita they used to have uh, 40 years ago. For example, if you take the case of uh, Cote d'Ivoire, in 2016, its real GDP per capita was uh, one third lower to the best level of GDP per capita uh, uh, the country has obtained in 1978. And if you uh, see the rate, annual rate of economic growth of real GDP per capita for Cote d'Ivoire, uh, let's say between 1960 and 2016, is uh, more or less 0.5%. If you take my own country, Senegal, the rate of um, uh, annual rate of growth of real GDP per capita is 002 that means there, is, there has been no long-term growth at all. Uh, nowadays, you would see people saying that, yeah, in the CFA-fine countries, you will see there's high rate of economic growth. That's true. So, uh, since 2012, we have 6%, 6% rate of economic growth. But this is a kind of economic growth which is uh, catching up with the past best levels of, let's say, economic performance. But, um, yeah... As a whole, if you take all the 14 countries, nine of them are uh, ranked as least developed countries, and um, f- four, among, uh, four among the five others have uh, nowadays a real GDP per capita, uh, let's say lower than the level uh, they had, let's say, in the 1970s, 1980s. So no long-term development at all. And what is also uh, interesting is that the uh, uh, you could not uh, explain why this uh, safer zone is, uh, uh, is still existing uh, because uh, you will see that uh, the trade between African countries of the fund zone is very limited. In Central Africa, it's less than 5%. After, let's say, 70 years of so-called monetary integration, they have just seven, much less than 5% of uh, regional trade. And uh, if you take the case of West Africa, it's a little bit better, but it's nonetheless, uh, yeah, very. Uh, it's nonetheless uh, not very uh, important. Ten percent, more or less. And um, if you take also um, uh, the level of uh, competitiveness of. Uh, uh, of African countries of the France zone, they fare the worst in the in, in the world. Uh, in West Africa, for example, uh, except for uh, Cote d'Ivoire, all the remaining countries uh, are c- 
chronically uh, in a um, state of uh, of, um, of of uh, trade uh, deficit. Uh, countries like uh, Benin, uh, uh, like Niger, like Mali, Burkina Faso, they have never recorded one year of trade surplus. Uh, that means that uh, those countries uh, are structurally in a um, situation where have to, they have to be uh, indebted in foreign currencies. And uh, that means that, uh, yeah, they will never be able to develop uh, because uh, the mechanism of the CFA franc uh, will never allow them to, to, to be developed. Uh, because on the one hand, as I said earlier, if you want to produce, you have to create money. But in the CFA fund zone, uh, yeah, the banks, the central banks, are more or less forbidden to uh, facilitate uh, money creation because the reasoning of the uh, French authorities is really simple. They say that more bank credits means more imports. More imports means uh, mean uh, uh, less exchange reserves and less exchange reserves uh, imply uh, uh, more pressure to defend the fixed peg to the euro. So uh, at a macroeconomic level there is this rationing of credit and uh, there are some crazy indicators you will see uh, showing that the safe uh, franc is uh, more or less functioning like a currency board. Uh, that means that the, the monetary base of central banks uh, is covered at nearly 100% by foreign reserves. And in this uh, context, yeah, there is not enough credit to um, stimulate production. And those who happen to produce to sell abroad, they, will, they cannot be competitive because the, the currency is too strong because it is packed to, to the euro. So, on the hand, one hand, there is no credit for production, and when you are able to uh, produce, you could not sell abroad because uh, you have a, a strong currency, because you have no um, monetary uh, sovereignty. So, this is a case of um, the safer France zone, and that's why there is no economic dynamism at all, but just, uh, let's say, uh, economic growth uh, created, let's say, by favorable circumstances. The economic growth in the safer front zone um, is never triggered by internal dynamics, but just by external dynamics. For example, good terms of trades and also uh, cheaper interest rates, uh, at, uh, in the end, let's say, on international financial, financial markets. So this is the really uh, sad uh, story of the CFA franc. And uh, somehow, uh, owing to these mechanisms, when they are when there are economic crises, it's generally much more difficult for CFFN countries than the others because the exchange rate could not be used to uh, adjust economically. And uh, as the, um, they are following the neoliberal rules, so the deficits are not really uh, encouraged and the central banks generally in those circumstances are, um, let's say, uh, uh, are following an orthodox monetary uh, policy and that means that whenever there, there are economic crises uh, the main uh, way of adjusting economically 
is uh, through what is called the internal devaluation. That means uh, lowering uh, internal prices and uh, yeah, limiting uh, public deficits uh, and letting um, the private sector enterprises go bankrupt. That is the main mechanism of adjustment in the CFA franc. So given those harms, how has the CFA franc been challenged by African people and governments in the past and now? Yeah, there have been many uh, attempts to, uh, to, to, to challenge the CFA franc. At least there, are, there have been four periods. Uh, the first uh, take place, uh, let's say, just after the independencies. Uh, Guinea was the first country to challenge the CFA franc. I mean the countries of sub-Saharan Africa. And um, Guinea took its independence from France in 1958. And two years after, uh, they, uh, they had their own national currency and they exited from the CFA franc. But France did not accept, did not accept that. And uh, in retaliation, the French secret services uh, flooded the Guinean economy with counterfeit banknotes uh, uh, through a large-scale military uh, operation called uh, Operation Pestle. And uh, this operation is uh, described in books and especially by, uh, by the people who performed it. And obviously, uh, those counterfeit banknotes uh, have disrupted uh, the, the, the Guinean economy. And this was also a warning uh, from France saying that if you want to get rid of the CFA franc, uh, reflect a little bit because we will uh, sabotage your, your economy. And um, there was also another example in the early 60s. It was the example of Togo. They had a political leader named Silvanus Olympio. Uh, he has been trained at the London School of Economics. He wanted also to have a, a national currency and diversify the Togo economic relationships, uh, namely with um, uh, American, uh, German, etc. But um, he had never been able to create uh, his national currency uh, because he was uh, killed uh, uh, days before the national currency uh, would be launched and he was killed uh, in front of the American embassy in 1968. So uh, Togo and Guinea uh, were the first two countries to, uh, to, to challenge France, but more or less they have failed. Uh, Togo has failed, Guinea exited, but since then uh, its economy had not uh, worked very well. There was um, attempts also to challenge France in the mid-1970s. Uh, in that period, uh, there was, uh, let's say, some turmoil uh, following the um, suspension of the dollar's gold convertibility. Uh, Africans were uh, angry to see that France had devaluated uh, its currency without warning them. Uh, this devaluation of the French franc uh, was followed uh, as a result of the fixed pact by the um, African countries using the CFA franc. And this has um, increased inflation, the debt burden, and also had reduced the value of their foreign exchange reserves. And uh, because at that time, uh, the, all the foreign exchange reserves were held at 100% in French franc. So Africans were not really happy about that. But uh, French, uh, the Fr France uh, responded with uh, some minor, let's say, concessions. Uh, 
since then, France uh, allowed African countries to reduce the mandatory uh, deposit rate uh, to 65%, and also it um, accepted that uh, central banks now be uh, managed by African um, African staff because until then, until the mid 70s, the central banks headquarters uh, were in Paris. And after that, they have been moved to Dakar and to Yaoundé with an African staff. But uh, as I said earlier, France is still represented and had a veto right. There was a third wave of, um, of, of, uh, of challenges, but it was um, in 1994. Because 1994 is the year when the, uh, the CFA franc was devalued for the first time in its history. Uh, when I say devalued, devalued vis-à-vis the, the French franc. And uh, this was a, a shock for many uh, African uh, leaders who were against this devaluation. But this devaluation was forced by, the, by France and the IMF. IMF and France decide, decided that there would be a devaluation. And this devaluation has, uh, cre- had, had created inflation and impoverished uh, the urban dwellers. And uh, in the days that, that followed, there were many riots and many people uh, were, were, were killed. And those protests were not against uh, the CFA franc in particular, but um, on the short-term um, economic consequences of its uh, devaluation. Uh, and there is this currently a wave of protest which uh, started in 2015-2016 and uh, yeah, what is interesting about uh, this wave is that it is um, let's say um, uh, uh, a more popular and more pan-Africanist wave of, uh, of, uh, of, of protestation uh, because uh, until then the safer fund were more or less uh, taboo subject uh, discussed only uh, in selected salons or contested only by uh, relatively uh, marginal intellectuals. But now everybody is talking about the, the CFA franc and this is something unimaginable, um, uh, uh, let's say uh, 20 years ago or um, three decades ago. And uh, now the issue of the CFA franc is uh, gaining more visibility. And the recent uh, declarations of the uh, Italian government officials accusing France of behaving like a colonial power in Africa uh, have also uh, given more visibility to the to the Seva Front. There is an uh, an episode which is not really known, but which is also uh, really uh, interesting uh, as uh, it illustrates. Uh, how France uh, dominates this this system. Uh, in 2011, there was a presidential contest in the presidential election in um, in Cote d'Ivoire, and uh, there was uh, let's say some tension between uh, Laurent Gbagbo, who was the incumbent president, and uh, Alassane Ouattara, who is a former member of the IMF and also a protégé of uh, France. And uh, there was an electoral dispute, and France has taken sides with uh, Ouattara. And to put pressure on the Gbagbo government, 
the French government uh, asked the BCAO, the Central Bank of West African States, uh, to stop uh, supplying the economy, the Ivorian economy, with banknotes and to stop also dealing with the Bagbo regime, which could no longer um, uh, access its accounts at the central bank. Uh, the French government uh, also asked the French banks present in Cote d'Ivoire to cease all external operations. And uh, finally, uh, the French government blocked the operation account. The operation account is the, the, the account where all um, operations to convert CFA franc into euros and vice versa pass. And uh, as a result of that, uh, there was a financial embargo against Cote d'Ivoire and against the regime of uh, Laurent Gbagbo. But the regime of Laurent Gbagbo uh, uh, chose to uh, create a new national currency and they were discussing with uh, uh, some countries uh, uh, to help them manage their foreign exchange reserves. But uh, they did not have the time to create this new currency as France has uh, used weapons to, uh, to bomb, let's say, the palace of, uh, of Laurent Gbagbo and uh, to install Ouattara at, at, at his place. And this was uh, one inter intervention among more than 40 uh, done by France uh, since uh, the independencies uh, in Africa. So there have been many uh, attempts to, to challenge the CFA franc, but uh, each time France has been uh, very strong and also um, yeah, sent very uh, clear messages that uh, France will never allow uh, African countries to exit the CFA franc. But I think now with the current wave, it will be much more difficult for France to have that, uh, that, that stance. From what, from what I've read, there seem to be two uh, resistance strategies uh, right now uh, to, to the CFA franc and, and ways of, of exiting it and, and, and potentially breaking it up. Could, could you quickly outline those two strategies and discuss what you, you believe their strengths and weaknesses are? Yeah, in fact, uh, we could exit the CFA franc, uh, let's say, on a national basis. That means that uh, Senegal will say, I won't have my own national currency, and so I am exiting the CFA franc. This is uh, the path followed, let's say, by Guinea, Mauritania, Madagascar, etc. And uh, legally speaking, it's something very easy. Uh, Africa, Senegalese government uh, would have just to, um, to, uh, to notify this decision to the monetary union, West Africa monetary union and in six months they could have their own national currency. But uh, it's difficult because uh, if you go alone, you, you don't know uh, what consequences you could face from France. So this is what I call the nationalist exit. But there's another type of exit, uh, the what I call the Pan-African exit. That means that uh, instead of African countries trying to, um, to have uh, their own currency, Initially, they could say that, yeah, we no longer need France. And uh, France could, uh, let's say, go out of the CFA franc system. Uh, and this option is uh, made plausible by the fact that uh, the so-called uh, guarantee of convertibility by France doesn't exist. Because this guarantee of convertibility, as I said, is a promise to lend money, to lend euros, when the central banks are devoid of um, any um, foreign exchange reserve. And this 
generally uh, doesn't happen. It just happened, let's say, in the 80s because it was a very difficult uh, period. It was a period of the international debt crisis. And even that time, the amounts lent by France were really ridiculous. And um, let's say uh, since African countries are independent in the 1960s, so the f- uh, French convertibility guarantee had been used only for more or less a decade. So that means that uh, African countries do not need France. And they could tell France, yeah, we do no longer need uh, your, your support. That, that, that is possible. But uh, this is uh, uh, Pan Africanists exist and these uh, nationalists exist are uh, just, let's say, formal ways of existing, of, of exiting the system. The, re- the important question is uh, what are we going to do? How could we achieve uh, monetary sovereignty? And uh, in this regard, there have been many uh, proposals. Uh, there are some who, who are just uh, uh, saying that we need uh, to have um, an, uh, uh, let's say, a single currency shared not only by uh, the African uh, countries of the Sierra Front zone, but uh, a single currency for, for West Africa. And you have uh, this project, uh, and normally uh, the African chief of states uh, say that they would li- they they like they uh, aspire to uh, to launch this currency next year, but uh, this will not be possible uh, for me because there are there are technical obstacles to that because. Uh, if they want to uh, have um, uh, this single currency, all the members should, uh, let's say, uh, fill some economic criteria like uh, those uh, um, laid in the Maastricht Treaty, the criteria regarding uh, um, public deficit, public debt, inflation, and so on. Until now, no country uh, fills uh, the criteria yet. What do you see as the path forward for African nations looking to exit the CFA franc? With regard to the issue of uh, how to get out of the monetary status quo, there are, in my opinion, four different points of view. First, there is a perspective I call uh, symbolic reformism, which consists in touching only the visible symbols of uh, monetary coloniality without touching the fundamentals of the CFA franc system. Uh, this includes uh, proposals such as changing the name of the CFA franc, having banknotes and coins manufactured outside France, and even further reducing the deposit rate of foreign exchange reserves at the French Treasury. Um, Emmanuel Macron, for example, made this type of proposal, and he even suggested that he was open to expanding the CFA franc zone uh, to a country like Ghana. There is the second perspective I call uh, adaptive reformism. Uh, these are reforms that aim to adapt the CFA zone to the current context marked by the economic and geopolitical decline of France and Europe, but with the ultimate objective of maintaining it. This is the case, for example, of those who want to pack to the euro, who want the parity of the CFA franc to be made more flexible because the pack to the euro is too rigid and undermines the price competitiveness of African exports. And because uh, 
the CFA zone is increasingly trading with China and other countries trading in dollar, US dollar. Thus, for many economists of different sides, um, there is this proposal of uh, having uh, the exchange rate of the CFA zone based on a basket of currencies. But the problem with this uh, perspective is that it is simply unrealistic because it ignores the functioning of the CFA zone. Exchange rate flexibility is not an option in the CFA system because the convertibility guarantee is offered at a fixed exchange rate and in the currency of the guaranteeing authority. Uh, so it is uh, regrettable that uh, many people who claim to be experts and moderate have still not understood that the demand for flexibility is incompatible with the maintenance of France guardianship. It is one or the other. Uh, thirdly, there is a perspective I call uh, neoliberal abolitionism that is an exit from the CFA franc that follows the neoliberal monetary integration model. By that, I am referring to the Eurozone model. Um, I have in mind uh, those countries in West Africa uh, who want uh, to be part to the single currency project of the ECOWAS. The ECOWAS is the economic community of West African states, and it gathers the uh, 15 countries of West Africa. Uh, this uh, single currency project for West Africa uh, normally should be launched uh, next year, but I do not think this will be done owing to technical and political problems. Uh, technically, uh, no country fulfills yet the convergence criteria uh, copied from the Maastricht Treaty and defined as prerequisites to for entry into new monetary zone to be created. Uh, politically, the current Nigerian president who ju has just been re-elected, uh, Mohamed Buhari, um, has been demanding since 2016 a divorce plan from the French Treasury from the eight West African countries that use the CFA franc. But until then, um, these countries of the West African Monetary Union who uses the CFA franc have remained silent until now for fear of angering France. So it is uh, very unlikely that there will be an ECOWAS single currency uh, next year. And even if it were possible, uh, for me it would be a very bad idea for the simple reason that uh, sharing the same currency is not justified among ECOWAS countries uh, owing to a number of factors like for example Nigeria's disproportionate wage. Nigeria accounts for at least 70% uh, of West Africa GDP. There are differences in economic specialization are, as uh, Nigeria is an oil producer and oil exporter whereas you would find in West Africa at least nine countries uh, 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 which are net oil importer. Uh, there is also the fact that the uh, economic cycles are not uh, synchronous uh, in uh, West Africa 
and the level of anti um, uh, ECOWAS trade is very low. So all these elements uh, point to the um, to the fact that uh, a single currency is something premature and not justified uh, uh, economically in uh, West Africa. We have also to say that uh, uh, there are no planned fiscal federal mechanism, but rather limitations on uh, public debts and also uh, public deficit uh, following the Maastricht criteria. So uh, that means in case of an uh, economic uh, crisis, uh, uh, countries in, the, in this uh, currency union would have only the option of so-called internal devaluation. Uh, that is lowering international internal prices, which often comes to austerity policies and um, uh, growth of un unemployment, etc. And lastly, there is my uh, extremely minority perspective, uh, which I call uh, uh, sovereign abolitionism. Uh, that is an uh, exit from the CFA franc that breaks with the neoliberal model of economic integrations. And that strengthens the sovereignty of individual and of individual countries, and also uh, that strengthens their sovereignty collectively. Um, because uh, uh, if we uh, put aside the political criticism of the CFA franc, the real economic criticism is that the CFA zone must not exist because it has no economic justification. It's not so-called and so-called um, optimal monetary zone. So uh, each country uh, must have its own national currency because um, economic fundamentals, levels of development and productive dynamisms are not the same. Uh, but saying that does not mean that um, we could not uh, uh, have... Um, systems of solidarity between uh, African countries and uh, for me this is possible and uh, that's why my preferred option is uh, that of um, let's say solidary national currencies and uh, concretely uh, it means that each country uh, has its own national currency which is national central bank the exchange rate parity is determined according to the fundamentals of each country and countries have a common payment system. Their currency are linked by a fixed but adjustable parity to a common unit of account and also there is a solidarity in the management of foreign exchange reserves. And uh, finally, there are common policies to ensure energy and food self-sufficiency. Uh, because in the ECOWAS zone, energy and food products represent between 25 and 60 percent of the value of imports, depending on the country. The advantage of this option for me, of this option of solidarity national currency, is that it makes it possible to reconcile uh, macroeconomic flexibility at the national level. That means the possibility to use the exchange rate for as an instrument of adjustment and at the same time having macroeconomic flexibility with solidarity between African countries. And this kind of um, option for me uh, also helps break the Anglophone, Francophone and Lusophone divide. Uh, legacy, these are 
this is a legacy from colonialism and um, what is maybe unfortunate is that this option is unlikely to to emerge uh, generally uh, people don't talk about national currencies in the safer zone and uh, many pan-africanists uh, are uh, are convinced that uh, pan-africanism means uh, having uh, a single currency for the largest uh, n- <coughs> number possible of uh, African countries. Uh, f- I see uh, this position as not really um, solid on economic grounds, but uh, unfortunately uh, uh, those uh, who defend the CFA, CFA franc uh, are not uh, uh, interested by national currencies and those uh, Pan-Africanists who um, want to get rid of the CFA franc uh, just uh, conceive uh, the alternative of a, of a single currency but not national currencies that is what is a little bit unfortunate but uh, obviously I will try to push uh, this uh, argument uh, about the uh, the necessity to have uh, national currencies organized in a solidarity way. Before we conclude, we wanted to give you the opportunity to talk to our listeners and tell them what they can do to help overturn this unjust monetary order. To finish, uh, I would like to make a call to the MMT community uh, to join us to support our fight for the abolition of the CFA fund and also for an international monetary system better suited to the needs of the developing countries, the so-called Global South. And in this perspective, if the basics of uh, MMT were made more available in French and as a, a language other than English, it would also help. Well, Nongo, it was a real pleasure having you on Money on the Left. Ooh. Mm-hmm.